I apologize to those who thought that I was going to be speaking on the woman at the well and came expecting that. Uh, that's a very deep subject. <laughs> on my recent trip to Nigeria with Linda, I met a lot of fascinating people. For those of you who do not know, Linda is a news writer for Mennonite Central Committee, or MCC. For example, I met Margaret. She was a remarkable woman who seeks to empower others and make use of whatever is at hand, whether it is leaves and oil from the neem tree, or if it is the plastic bags that are left over from the water, bo the water packaging that are strewn about on the ground that she uses to turn into um, uh, mats on the floor or handbags. Boniface, another fascinating individual, is a great networker who is working to reduce the violence in the city of Jos. Dr. Chris is an energetic physician who truly embodies a holistic approach to medicine. Their medical clinic started with devotions in the morning. And I had the kind of incredible privilege and honor to lead them in prayer at the end of their devotional time. People come there for medical treatment, but they also have um, job training, skill training uh, pieces that they offer to those who need to be empowered to get out of poverty because disease and poverty go hand in hand together. And it actually was at the sewing school uh, where they were teaching uh, young women to sew that I got this shirt made. Uh, so I thought it was appropriate to wear this morning. They have temporary housing for those who are in need of housing. They have all kinds of different things. It truly is holistic medicine. I met teachers and children in schools who are seeking to build peace through peace clubs uh, and build peace in their families and in their communities. But one of the more memorable people who I met was Rick. He was one of the very few white people that I uh, encountered while in Nigeria. And I must say that without a doubt, he was the least likable white person I met in Nigeria. He was another guest at the Baptist guest house where we were staying in Jos. And we ate dinner and breakfast with him in the um, small dining room for several days. He was very talkative. As the photographer with us said, he lacked an appreciation for companionable silence, <laughs> especially in the morning prior to having consumed caffeine in the form of powdered Nescafe, which I hesitate to call coffee, or tea. He was a conversationalist of sorts. He was very skilled at asking the other person a question which seemed to convey interest in them, only to take over the conversation with his own answers. He also uh, liberally used cutting humor, which may be seen as playful amongst good friends, but I found it to be rather off-putting from a relative stranger. Well, one morning he asked us, so, what do you think is the primary purpose for us to be here on earth? I figured this was an opening for him to talk about what he thought was the primary purpose of why we're here. 
But I took the bait anyway, and I answered, to love others. He pondered that response for a split second, and then replied, well, that's not too bad of an answer, but... Well, being kind of tired of his frequent put-downs, I interrupted. Rick, I know you and I disagree about a number of things, but that doesn't make my answer wrong. That is what I believe. He gave a bit more of a passing acceptance of my answer and then went on to wax lengthily about what he considered to be the right answer. I admit I was a little bit surprised by his answer. Based on prior monologues, I thought he was going to talk about saving souls for Christ or discipleship. Those seemed to be his two main themes. Instead, he said intercessory prayer. That would be another subject, another sermon. Well, I admit I was only partially listening to his responses. I thought about my answer. Yes, I also can be self-focused at times. I could make a good theological basis for my answer. After all, when Jesus was asked to identify what is the most important commandment, he summed up the law with, love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. But then I started to wonder, what does it mean to love Rick in that moment? It's much easier to love people who are lovable, or at least likable, I didn't come up with the immediate answer to that question, so I turned back to my breakfast of cinnamon rolls, hard-boiled egg, and watermelon. At first glance, Jesus' response seems to identify two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But a case could also be made that it's three commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. When I was young, I got the impression that um, I was supposed to love my neighbor instead of loving myself. Um, and maybe some of you heard a similar concept of, you know, put God first, then your family, then your neighbors, then those at school or work, people you interact with on a daily basis, and then those in the town around you, and then those living on the other side of the world, and yourself at the bottom. I mean, I was supposed to eat my peas because there were starving children in Africa. Love them more than me. Actually, I love my peas. But but Jesus said that we're supposed to love our neighbor in the very same way that we love ourselves. So how do we balance the commandments to love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves? Are they really separate foci? Or are they three aspects of the same focus? Well, in the Apostle John's first letter, he clarifies the connection. The claim that we love God is validated by the love we show to those around us. We can't love God without loving our neighbor. The two are inexplicably inexplicably linked with each other. Now, John uses the term brother, And the NRSV broadens that to brothers and sisters in a way to make it uh, more gender inclusive. But I don't think John is talking just about our blood relatives. 
you know, be nice to our immediate family members. He addresses the recipients of this letter as my children. So he seems to very much be using the concept that, um, you know, we are a family together here. You are my children. We are brothers and sisters to each other. However, I don't think he was limiting his comments just to other believers. You know, love your fellow Christians and people who aren't Christians, treat them any way that's convenient for you. Um, that doesn't seem very consistent. So I, th- I think he was using brother in much the same way that Jesus used the term neighbor uh, when he gave the story of the Good Samaritan to refer to anybody who is in need and anybody who we meet. So let's just kind of take a quick uh, run through the letter of First John and see how um, John develops his theme of loving God and how it is connected to loving your neighbor. In chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, whoever says, I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. Being in the light is a metaphor for knowing and following God. As John recorded in his gospel, Jesus claimed he is the light of the world, and those who follow him will not walk in darkness. Walking in the light is much easier than stumbling through the darkness. Now, we don't usually encounter pure darkness in our lives. There are so many lights around us. But when the electric goes out, it's dark. And when we were in Nigeria, the electric frequently was out. In fact, I think it was out much more than it was on. Um, And sometimes it was very dark. And without a flashlight or the flashlight app on my cell phone, we've been stumbling around in the darkness trying to find our way. In chapter 3, verse 11, for, the, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And skipping down to verse 18 in chapter 3, little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. Don was not a fan of all talk and no action. As he records in John chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, when we abide in God, it's like being branches on God's vine, and we will produce fruit. We will be known by our actions, by what we do. I suspect John was in agreement with James, who wrote in James chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, that if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. John's version of that is, love without action is a lie. And then continuing on in chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 
just as he has commanded us. The theme continues to be repeated. Believing in the name of Jesus Christ is is an aspect of loving God. Combined with loving one another sums up the commandments. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. These are probably the best two known verses in the epistle of 1 John. And they are a really good selection for the Reader Choice Awards, if there were such a thing. Um, There were uh, verses that often we have children memorize. I learned a song on based on these verses, actually ends 1 John 4, 7, and 8, so you can find it. Um, It's kind of the key part of the letter. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love doesn't start with us. And if we only had the brief piece uh, from Jesus summarizing the two laws, or summarizing the law, it sort of sounds like, well, the commandment is for us to love God. But it doesn't start there. It starts with God loving us. And then out of God loving us, we then love God and love other people around us. Beloved, since God loves us so much, we also ought to love one another, in verse 11. Um, Our love for others is simply a natural consequence of God's love for us. Verses 19 to 21, we love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars, for they do For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Not only do we love God because of God's love for us, but we also, the love for our brothers and sisters is a natural consequence. So much so that if we don't love those around us, it's obvious that we don't really love God. Wow. That's kind of putting it bluntly. And it finishes up in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we are... I'm sorry. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And... Looking back to Jesus, his commandments are summarized as love God and love your neighbor and love yourself. Do you notice there's a repeated theme here? When when I'm working with my students and I teach pastoral care at Lancaster General Hospital, when I'm working with the students and they come and they say, I had this visit with the patient and the patient was so repetitive. They kept saying the same thing over and over. And my response usually is, well, pay attention to that. They're saying something important. If they're repeating it, maybe they're repeating it because they don't think you've heard it. 
I think John is doing that. He's repeating this message because it is so important to him. And he wants to make sure that his readers hear it. They get the message. You can't love God if you don't love those around you. It just doesn't work. Well, it sounds pretty straightforward. It sounds almost simple. But what does it mean to love our neighbors? In the mental health unit at Lancaster General, chaplains lead a spirituality group for the patients on the unit. Usually it's one of the chaplain residents that leads the group now. But I started it and led it for a few years, and now I lead it for a few weeks at a time each year as we transition from one group of residents to the next. And one of the questions that I often end up asking the patients that are attending is, what does it mean to love someone? And one of the things that I've noticed over the years by the answers is that it's the misconceptions about what love means that often contribute greatly to the suffering that these people were facing. One of the responses is, well, love means doing whatever the other person asked me to do, self-sacrificing for the other. And if you take the gospel message and you twist it just a little bit, it becomes very dangerous. Self-sacrifice is important. And we do things, if we really love people, we aren't doing things that aren't necessarily what we would prefer to be doing in the moment. But when it gets twisted into we're always sacrificing for others and we're always doing for others to the detriment of doing for ourselves, then it becomes dangerous. And it can be very much used against people of a message to others of, well, you need to be doing this for me. Aren't you a Christian? For example, Mary was sucked dry by her adult child who continued to live at her home, not earning any kind of regular income, using drugs, and expecting his mom to bail him out from any financial difficulties he had. He takes, Mary gives. Now she's in the hospital for having attempted to take her own life. What does it mean for Mary to truly love her son? I think most of us would say that she needs to set some boundaries with him. She needs to have some tough love. Just giving to him constantly, continuing to bail him out, continuing to uh, take care of him is teaching him to be irresponsible and is not helping him or really loving him in the long run. Another response that I've heard frequently is love means taking care of other people, putting their needs first. George sounded kind of resentful as he described helping out everybody else. Not that he minded helping them out. He fixed his kids' cars. He repaired the neighbor's porch when it was rotting away. He drove over to his brother's house in the middle of the night when his brother called and said that his basement was flooding. He picked up trash in the neighborhood. He gave people money when they were short, even though he didn't really have it to give. But now he broke his leg and he needs some help. And all these other people seem to have vanished. None of them have any time to do anything for him. It was all one-sided, and now he feels taken advantage of. Was he truly loving them? Are they loving him? 
Another response that I often get is, love means forgiving and forgetting. Lori's abusive husband apologized. Shouldn't she forgive him and take him back for the fifth time? Didn't Jesus say to forgive 70 times 7? How does that fit with the social worker suggesting that she leaves him, that he's hurting her? What does it mean for her to love? And often the person that these patients struggle to love most is themselves. What does it mean to love themselves? To quote Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So back to Rick, our talkative, insensitive dining companion in Nigeria. What did it mean to love him? Well, we were polite to him. We engaged him on topics of his interest. It seemed like an okay start. He seemed lonely and needy. He seemed like he burned a lot of relational bridges, and I can understand why. We gave him some of what he needed. Was that enough? Was that really love? Well, on the final morning that we were there, there were some additional guests there for breakfast, and so the dining area was um, more crowded than it had been with just the four of us. As I got my tea and looked for a place to sit down, Rick joked, Sorry, Keith, the table's full. You'll need to go sit in the corner and eat by yourself. I wish I could say that my response was motivated purely by love. But I'm sure it was a custom blend of many motives. I replied, Rick, I don't find much humor. I don't find such humor to be funny. In fact, I find it to be rather offensive. He apologized, and I sat down at one of the empty places at the table. Later in the morning as we were leaving, he tracked me down and thanked me for challenging him. He realized he hadn't been very sensitive, and he said he appreciated my feedback to heighten his awareness. So maybe, just maybe despite my not-so-great motives, my challenge was a way of showing him love. As I said earlier, it's much easier to love those who are lovable, or at least those who are likable. What does it mean for us to love our neighbor today, this week? John tells us that if we really understand God's love for us, and if we really love God, we will keep working at loving those around us. May we do so with God's help.